What is up, Mets fans? We are back here, the Mets Up Podcast, episode number 16. I'm one of your co-hosts, Draftneck Mark, Mark Luino, along with James Ciano. Jeter had no range. Talking about New York Mets baseball after every single series this season. That's what we're doing today. We just wrapped up a series against the Atlanta Braves, and while this team might be battered and bruised and beaten, we actually came out and had a fairly good series, all things considering. So we're going to go through the series every single game pretty much in depth like we always do. If you're a new listener, thank you for listening. Hope you guys enjoy what you're listening to. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MetsUp. You'll be able to find all the great content we did over there. James dropped a banger of a tweet yesterday with Kevin Pillar, which we'll talk about in a little bit when we get to it. But, oh, that was like chef's kiss. Perfect. So many impressions. We're also on YouTube. YouTube, just search Mets Up Podcast. You'll find all our videos there if you want to watch it in video form, as well as you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Wherever you have a podcast, that's where you can find us. James, after this, I guess it was a good series against the Braves. How are we feeling? It was a good series. I think that the way to describe this series is bittersweet. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> it is. This was a bittersweet series because despite the fact that we showed up with mostly a minor league baseball team we got eight not even eight total innings from our starting pitchers we still managed to take two games from the division uh, defending champion braves and we know you win a division by winning the most games in the division ever since 2015 the national league east teams with the most wins inside a division has won so this is what you do you pick off the braves you win but you just wish you could have had that third game tonight and you know for me even so like i had said from the start if we want to win this division specifically we have to beat the braves i said until the mets beat them i don't think this is a team that necessarily is the favorite to win the nl east but shockingly despite being so battered and bruised like i said at the beginning of the you know episode the mets came out and won the series all odds against them against a Braves team that a lot of people not only thought were going to win the National League East, but be a possible World Series contender this year. And the Mets came out and kind of surprised everyone, even ourselves included. Oh, I was shocked. <laughs> even tonight during our comeback, I was very surprised at like the grit and determination this team has showed. It's kind of been the carrying call of this roster the whole season, which is weird that we've showed so much grit and perseverance since only May 19th, but like we've needed it and we've had it. Uncle Stevie said it best that we have a tough stretch coming up and the guys are digging deep digging so deep they are gritty they're scrappy any bill belichick you know word that you want to throw out there to talk about working hard that's exactly what these mets are doing and it all got started in game one here as we hop into game one where we had taiwan walker who is one of our guys who wasn't hurt at the time on the mound pitching well all season long was cruising and then in typical fashion for what seems like this year taiwan leaves the game does leave the game. We kind of alluded to the fact that Taiwan might be injured over the last few weeks. His velocity's ticked down a little bit from what we saw his first collection of starts on the season. And I guess another awful prediction that we've made has come true. And he did have to leave this game with a tight lad. And now he's found himself on the IL, which is an awful blow that this rotation really did not need. Um, luckily for us, though, the MRI came back clean. Yeah. It's just left side tightness. I think this is more on the precautionary side. Mm-hmm. Because I think they also want him to, he might get a rehab start in between there too, just to mm-hmm. make sure that everything's okay. That seems like something the Mets are going to do this year, is if there's anything slightly wrong with the pitchers specifically, they're going to throw these guys on the IL, let them get a start in the minor leagues to make sure everything's good before they come back. We see that with DeGrom possibly pitching tomorrow and then hopefully coming back for the weekend. Stinks to see Taiwan hit the IL though, because he's a guy who's always been battling injuries and has looked so strong and healthy this year, been a bulldog for us, and he was pitching so well again against the Braves. Yeah, definitely. This this is just what happens when you pitch Taiwan Walker in a night game. It's not natural. It shouldn't happen. He's the day man. Everyone has to get on board with this role. You have to fine-tune Taiwan Walker's games to pitch at 1 o'clock or even 
4 o'clock in the afternoon. No evenings, no dusk. Sun cannot set on Taiwan Walker. He's like the princess from Shrek. Yes. In Shrek 1. It's been a big been a big week for Shrek, 20th anniversary, actually. What a movie. Uh, yeah, amazing movie. But he just, once the sun goes down, he turns into an ogre. Can't have this happen. <laughs> Can't have it happen. We need our bulldog there, except, you know, not a princess, but more of a bulldog. But then Sean Reed Foley came in and does what Sean Reed Foley seemingly does for us. He has, as we've said many times, been a godsend. No, a godsend. It's so important what he's done for this team. I think a lot of people saw the Steven Matz return in the offseason and just assumed we were kind of getting rid of him just to like get a roster spot and shed a little bit of money. But man, has Sean Reed Foley been good. The ERA is sparkling. The K per nine is pristine. He struck out five guys and only three innings pitched yesterday. He was mixing up his four-seamer with his changeup, with his slider. He got that four-seamer up to 96, which is that's just such a great number to hit for a guy who's in like that sweeper fireman role. The one thing about Sean Reed Foley, SRF as people have been calling him, which I kind of like it's I also like it. yeah it's like a not a f- like a colloquial collection of letters but it's way easier than sean reed foley this was the first time we saw him use a change up very much this is the first time he's used it just even more than three times in any start all year not start appearance he's not a starter he could be a starter maybe next week but right now he's not we threw it 13 times 10 more times than he has in any appearance this year and he got five whiffs on and eight swings for 63 percent that's amazing really good that's very strong yeah 43 percent whiffs in the appearance that's elite. You do that all year, and you're going to be one of the better relievers on this team. And it felt like he did the thing that we've applauded him for all year long as he comes in when we need him. He's yes. always in a little bit of a cleanup role because mm-hmm. he's not really he's not the opener. He's more of the swing man, I guess is what they call it nowadays. But he has come in and just pounded the zone, and that's yeah. what I love to see. Yeah. He, again, doesn't have the greatest stuff in the world. We know that, but he is attacking the zone, and he's locating so well right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, SRF, whatever SRF. we're calling him now, he is a legitimate piece of this bullpen been huge i he's made more of an impact than i think a lot of people expected myself included oh 100 i don't even i wouldn't even say this stuff is bad i think the stuff is fine with the with the great location that becomes a good pitcher but the guy has no fear he comes in with energy which i think you need for this kind of weird role where you're not a starter and not a reliever again the swing man as you said he has that psycho look too with like the little mustache and he's all tatted up and stuff and he kind of just comes in there like (laughs) a little bit like like what is this guy's deal he's (laughs) out there does the weird crouch yeah I like his energy. Yeah, me too. Love his energy. And then we had Tomas Nito, who is your boy. My catcher. That's your guy, your catcher. Uh, maybe, possibly being the new starter? It, least, it's yeah. kind of looking like it. Seems like he's, if nothing else, taken a bigger piece of the pie. And Rojas even mentioned that explicitly, I think, after this game. Because the guy just continues to hit. Three knocks on Monday, two runs scored, two balls in play over 95 miles an hour one of the 103 like he's not just sneaking these by he is hitting the ball there's no of course tonight the big hit was a gimme but these are real base hits that Tomas Nito's getting and the funny thing about Nito's clutch hitting on Monday night is that McCann got the big hit to drive him in yes he did McCann actually did something positive for us on the offensive side game one everyone was kind of just putting stuff together and it wasn't really a good game either played by the Mets but again this entire Atlanta series, what they did was they got the job done. They did what they had to do to win. They weren't necessarily the best team out there, but they ended up getting some wins, which was huge. Mm-hmm. And I think what I love the most about Nito is that in the past, his swing has been very timid, not super aggressive. And it looks like this year, he's really just like, you know what? F it. I'm going up there. I'm swinging. I'm taking hacks. I'm not going down like with these kind of defensive swings like he's going up there looking to get hits and when you got to hit hit her up at the plate comfortable like we've seen with Jonathan Jonathan VR ever since you mentioned him talking about what did you say he's playing loose what were the words he used uh he's not afraid to play baseball 
yes, Nito looks like he's not afraid at the plate anymore, and I love it because if he's going to hit like this, keep getting him more games. Gary Keith, Gary and Ron even alluded it today that McCann and Nito both should not be catchers playing more than 100 games in a season. No. They're very much for this platoon that we got going on. Yeah, it's awesome. I think that we saw this new Nito coming into his own last year as well, where he started to swing mean, he started to be aggressive. And I have some wild Nito stats that I was going to share as we got later into the show, but I feel like now is going to be our Nito portion. Let's do it. So I'm ready to talk about it now. But Tomas Nito since the start of 2020, I've given these stats a few times, so I'm going to put them in perspective here. He's played 22 games, which is weird because sometimes he starts games, sometimes he gets pinch hits now, like 22 games, whatever. 64 plate appearances, four home runs, 12 RBIs, including his two massive RBIs tonight, 288 batting average. That's good. That's a pretty, pretty good, good number. OPS above 900 since Electric. the start of 2020. That is third among all active catchers. And his WRC Plus is above 145 since the start of 2020, only trailing Buster Posey because his amazing season this year. He didn't even play in 2020. So second among all catchers in WRC Plus and third in OPS while playing a strong defensive catcher. That's amazing stuff. Yeah, and he's great. not, not going to be one of the five best catchers in baseball. I know that. But in this small sample size, he's proven he can get hot. He can handle himself at the plate. He's kind of the new, like, a little bit of a Luis Guillorme thing where you can kind of draw a line in the sand as to where he's taken that step to the next level. Guillorme yeah. was the home run against the Nationals. Nito mm-hmm. was just last year. Yeah. Even though these guys don't have the biggest sample size, they have numbers that show you that there is a player there somewhere that can be an above-average hitter or an, just an above-average player in general. Definitely, and he has a minor league track record that is better than people realize. He won a batting title, I think, in the Eastern League, which I believe is St. Lucie a couple of years ago. Like There is a hit tool there. It exists. And now it seems like we've gotten it out, which is amazing. Yep. No, love to see it. He was a huge part of the game. The catchers, go figure, were the, the, the big guys that game. Yeah. And then we had a little bit of a weird scenario here with Kevin Pillar. Yeah. Thank goodness he's okay, but took a, what, 98-mile-an-hour fastball off the dome. I think I mean, it was like 95, right here, the bridge. Thank God yeah. Pilar had such a honker because that yeah. thing would have found an eye. I didn't like watching it. When it happened, I was like, oh, God. And then, two, he gets up, and he's just spurting blood. I mean, you would have thought that this guy was in a UFC fight. Like, he was so bloodied, and he just got off the field like it was nothing. Dude, I I was listening to a portion of this game on the radio. I was in the car. Howie Rose is one of, like, the marquee names in baseball media. He's an unbelievable professional through and through. One of my favorite announcers I've ever heard. And he was shook at this play. I, I felt queasy. There was an insane amount of blood coming from this dude's face. I still haven't even seen it. I still just saw the pictures that went up on Getty Images. And it is gross. Go Getty Image Kevin Pillar. And you will see like the stream of blood popping out of the bridge of his nose. It's crazy. But luckily, he's okay You know, from an actual health perspective. He's probably yes. going to be out at least a month. They have oh, his face. Much is- longer. His face is so fucked up that they can't even get like x-rays or take a look at it and know what's really wrong for like at least a month or at least a couple weeks because he's so swollen. I mean, the press conference, by the way, insane. This dude is a bad motherfucker. I feel like that's there's no other way to describe him. Apparently, he came into the lo- or the clubhouse the next day and was like, why am I not in the lineup? To yeah. which, that's it in, that's a psycho person <laughs> that's, that's thing a to big say. That's a problem. <laughs> that's nuts. We knew this guy was fearless because he dove you know, headfirst into Michael Conforto, and he's ran into walls, and he just he plays the game 
with no fear whatsoever. Reckless abandon. Yeah, almost, yeah. Like, he's just, he's nuts. But then in the press conference, he talked about how he felt bad letting his team down. He's like, you know, I've always been a guy that you can count on me. I'm going to be there for you. He's like, I don't really, I'm not in much pain outside of, you know, like my face being broken. He's like, I'm just really more upset that I can't be there for my team. I'm like, this dude is insane. This is crazy. Who says this? Dude, especially because, like, high key, he got the game-winning RBI. Yes, like that was like almost like the underrated part of it was that Mets got to run for this. Like, thanks, Kevin. Way to use your head, guy. That press conference yesterday, and as he's been in the dugout these last two games, he looks like Rocky at the end of Rocky 1. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. He they looks cut like- me, They cut me. I mean, he looks like uh, that lady who owned a chimpanzee and was like famous for it. And then it mauled her face and she had to get like oh, facial reconstruction oh, surgery. That oh. That's what it looked like though. He looks like he has a prosthetic on his face. His nose got 10 times bigger. It's. It, it, I feel for the guy. The reason we're like laughing about this is because it's okay. And no, he's it's also like, because he's had a sense of humor about it. And he has proven that he's tough as nails and just a fucking gamer. He said in that same press conference, or maybe it was just to the media, like one of the newspaper guys, if I could see out of my right eye, I'd be in there today. He texted Snicker that because him and Snicker yeah. have a relationship from far back. Because Snicker asked him if he was okay. Imagine that shit. That's crazy. And also, he apparently, like, had a personal, like, found Jacob Webb the next day and was like, dude, I got to talk to you. Like, it's okay. I'm good. I know you didn't do it on purpose. That's nice. Things happen. Like, give him a lot of words of encouragement, which is good because from the brave side, Jacob Webb looked like he saw a ghost. He looked mortified. And I felt for the guy. Yeah, me too. He looked, he looked queasy more than anything else. He, like, he didn't even go into the locker room. Like, he sat in the dugout like stone-faced like he looked literally. like he was gonna cry oh, and ron awful. ron was even talking about it he said he it happened to him once in summer league when he was i think yeah. a college player or something mm-hmm. like that and that he told the the coach if you can try your best not to pitch me the rest of the summer he's like i just can't do it and that's like it's a serious thing jacob webb's gonna have to like the next time he steps out on the mound it's probably gonna be a little scary for him because mm-hmm. when you're throwing with the velocity that he does and i know a lot of people are bringing up like you know wildness and that MLB teams are really more focused on the velocity now and not necessarily pitching, and that's why something like this happened. I don't really think that's a fair you know, shot to take right now. Sure, wildness happened, but that was a freak thing that happened with Jacob Webb. I'm hoping the best for him as well, too, because like mentally, that's got to be super tough. I couldn't imagine hitting someone in the face, seeing that blood coming out, and just imagining like, what what just happened? What did I do? Definitely. And this is actually also the second time Pilar has been hit in the face in his career. Crazy So, as so well. this is a hurdle he's going to have to climb mentally. I think he'll be okay because he's a psychopath. He looks a little tough as nails, so. Yeah, but it, and it was hard to return to this game after it happened. There was like an eerie feeling in the ballpark and even on the broadcast. It was very somber. Yeah, it was somber. Everyone looked shook. And weirdly enough, since again, he's okay, we had probably one of our best tweets ever on the Mets up. Twitter mm-hmm. account coming from you. You just threw it out there. You said while you were just kind of bored, not really thinking of anything. Yeah. Like, ah, I'm going I'm to throw this out there. Uh-huh. Post, posted the picture of him. You're like, wrong answers only. How did Kevin Pilar get injured? And I saw a lot of people, like most people, 99.9% of people loved it. And then there was a couple of people like, this isn't yeah. funny. And it's like, yeah. oh my God, please. Yeah, come on. Like, ha- have a laugh every once in a while. But that tweet, because I don't know if you've know, seen this stat, has almost a million impressions. I saw that. That is incredible. That is sick. So, James, we'll clap it up for you there. Clap, clap, thank clap. You, thank you. I want to share some of my favorite responses I've seen to this tweet, because some of you guys out there spewed some funny shit. One guy, Tiger's Torquemoyle. Ooh, that sucks. Spencer Torkelson isn't hitting, but I'm sure he'll be okay. He responded, fell in the ditch while being chased by a wild boar. That's comedy. Nice. That's nice. comedy. Another one, Nick Kowal, the Koala 4. 
Thanks for listening, Nick. He said McNeil hit him with a thrown helmet after a ground out, which that's, <laughs> that's kind of funny. That's pretty that good. Funny. That's good. And, and the best one that blew up on the side of this tweet from Raul Cerdas, Heel Cerdas, DeGrom was finally fed up with the lack of run support. That, that's a good one, too. That's good shit. <laughs> yeah. So thank you to all the Mets Up listeners, our followers on Twitter, for having some good responses to this. And it's still popping. So if anyone out here hasn't seen the tweet yet, log on to the Mets Up Twitter, maybe like our last three or four tweets altogether, give us a retweet, and give us a funny comment. Maybe quote tweet it. It was, it was a great tweet. To go back to the game, a few more things to talk about here. Trevor May came in, didn't look sharp again for what yeah. feels like another mm-hmm. performance. Yeah. Something to keep an eye on. Everybody's velocity seemed up in Atlanta except his. His seemed yes. down again. Yep, yep, yep. Not a good thing as a guy who relies on his velocity. He seems to be better, similar to Diaz when he's amped. And the last few starts to seem like he's just had like low T, the best yep. I can describe it. Since he got 100K on that YouTube video, he's been resting on his laurels a little bit. I am Trevor May. Since we gave him the Macho Man of the Month, which that was a mistake, I guess. Yeah, oh, but even then, like he still hasn't been like bad. It's just he no, hasn't yeah. been, he's been giving up extra base hits. Yeah, he's been mortal rather than being like explosive, which I'm hoping it's just a couple bad days. Maybe he's not a big fan of the humidity in Atlanta. He'll even out. I can't believe they had him in the bullpen tonight to pitch three days in a row. Couldn't believe it. Glad he didn't go out there. Like, yeah, even though we ended up well, losing I mean, the game. not really glad because it would have been, what happened was the worst scenario possible, but we'll get to that. Yeah. And Diaz came in, and even though he had a walk, it was, like, very easy and painless, which that's kind of the new the new model for Edwin Diaz. He's just been good, and he continues to be good. In safe situations, the guy seems unhittable. He's given up every single run this year when he's come in when the Mets are either tied, ahead, or losing. And... The Mets end up getting the win. Very, very strange game one. Everything said the Mets should lose this game, but as we know under the Steve Cohen era, the Mets win them now. And the Mets got game one, which led us into game two, Mm -hmm. which was going to be another just huge uphill battle with no starting pitcher. A funky adventure. Castro started game two. Miguel Castro, who looks really good as an opener, low key. He was disgusting, disgusting in that game. His stuff was electric. I think 11 pitches he got out of there with nothing. Mm -hmm. He was great. Then we got Tommy Torpedo. Tommy Hunter, who I've been hyping up for weeks now, and he just continues to be a beast, and he got his first big lead hit, which was probably the most electric play of the game. Yeah, especially because one, like it was electric from a gameplay sense because it was ahead of VR and made his home run a two-run homer, which is massive that they gave the Mets an extra run because runs yes. have been hard to come by. And he he's dropped so many hilarious quotes since he got that hit. One of my favorites is that he was really happy to get the hit, but he wasn't happy to run around the bases. He said it was the most he's run in years, which yes. is pretty funny. And I think he mentioned about how because that was his first major league hit, he has a kid who's I think five. Yeah. And that his son didn't think he was like a real major league baseball player. He's like, you don't have a hit. Like, you don't yeah. get to swing the bat. He's yeah. like, so I got to get the hit. And he he got to first base. He was running like a kid, like flailing uh-huh. his arms. And he gets there. And he's like, give me that ball. Give me that ball. <laughs> Which it's also funny to note that Tommy Hunter has more hits this season than Khalil Lee. That's nuts. Oh, uh, uh, whatever. Similar amount of games. Yeah. Great to see him get a first hit, and he's also been good on the mound. He's Very just good, yeah. been really solid. A guy who's got to stay up here, even when we get you know the reinforcements back. Yeah, maybe stay up here because we're gonna eventually the Mets are gonna have a lot of tough decisions to make with pitcher, but that is absolutely not now. No, not now. No. All hands on deck. Yeah, everybody's on deck. Lindor swinging the bat a little bit better, right-handed again, of course, because yeah. it seems like his left-hand swing is just broken. Mm-hmm. As we said before, we actually started recording this. You alluded to it. Left-hand swing looks broken, but right-hand swing, we're definitely seeing the Lindor that we expected a little bit more. He's still not great, but it's a lot better than what we're thinking or that we've been seeing this year. At least we're seeing power from the right side. Like He's still been drawing walks, which is at least like a baseline of helping the team. Like He's not Yasmani Grandal yet, but... 
there's there's something like he's fine the approach is still there he's just maybe not aggressive enough or just isn't really finding the ball the way he should he's not really barreling it up like we've seen him in the past but at least from the right hand side something's happening and he's been playing fantastic defense still which yes. he's just he's yes. so good at shortstop Absolutely. i love Absolutely. i love him getting a ball up the middle he's so good i think a big one of the mo- most impressive plays he made all year was that sweet 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 double play in the eighth and something that i texted you was one of my favorite innings of baseball that i've watched all season long there was just incredible plays and just like real heady shit happening on both sides of the ball first of all rojas left loop in for his fourth out after pitching a clean seventh to try and keep pablo sandoval the pinch hitting ace for pinch hit home runs on the season on the bench and it worked to a degree but Eri Adrianza had a little slap double it wasn't even a double because he slapped it down the line Dom made a nice play off the wall to get the ball in perfect throw to Lindor and Adrianza just did like the swim move like super slide that we see like Tatis and Javier Baez do here and there and he just evaded the tag which that's impressive as hell you love to see that one of the better slides I've seen in a game Absolutely. Then Ronald Acuna came up and worked a freaking crazy at-bat to draw a walk. The fact that this guy has added elite play-sit discipline to his toolbox is, like, fucked up and not really that fair. No. Because we're going to have to deal with him for the next, the rest of our lives, it feels like. And Whatever. free, basically, for the Braves. Exactly. So then now, there was first and second, nobody out, with, a, like, a, a dribbler ground ball just to the right of the second base bag. Francisco Lindor, in the shift, charged the ball hard ran against his momentum to tag uh, Acuna out, who runs very well coming to second, and then slung it back, dropped the arm slot, and still got Freddie Freeman a dull play at first. Freaking amazing. Felt like just for a second we were going to get out of this damn inning, but goddamn, Marcelo Zuna broke my heart. The next, like, felt like, like two or three pitches later with a little doink single to drive in the run. Off Familia, who was in at the time. Yeah, Familia. Familia, right, Familia right. has not really given up many hard hits this year. He has just been the king of broken bat singles. Did it again to Marcelo Zuna. What I think I think I texted you. Familia is has been simply too good where he only gives up bad hits. Literally. It's literally what he is. Like no one is hitting the ball hard off this guy right now. But sometimes just baseball. I literally texted you. That's just baseball right after that. And that's like almost the, you know, the the good and evil, or I don't even know what to call it. Like the good and bad part of Jerry Familia is that he's so good, but like this sinker does play to contact more than it does like a swing and miss. And sometimes he's just, like, going to break bats and they're going to find holes. So it's like, in your head, you go, oh, man, like, Jerry Familia gives up another hit. But really, he's doing his job. He's just getting unlucky. But luckily for the Mets, we have Thomas Babe Ruth Nito, who came up the next inning and just sent us back into the lead with a nuker. Tomas Nito, baby. This guy is unbelievable. Bench mob has been unbelievable. King of the bench mob. The Don of the bench mob. He is the Don, 100%. And... Mess up listeners. We're going to have some bench mob merch coming out hopefully in the next few days here. I'm trying to figure out a website that will do on demand printing. Keep an eye out for it. Godfather bench mob merch. Check it out. It's an elite shirt. It's unbelievable. But anyway, back to Tomas Nito. Gotta get the guy some more at bets. So good. Nito King, the Pokemon. He's our guy. (laughs) And then Diaz comes in and he shut down again. Dude, shut down again. Diaz was lights out in a safe situation. We knew that. But everyone in the bullpen really, really impressed me yesterday. There was a long line of relievers pitching this game in a bullpen day. Castro to Hunter to Gazelman to May to Loop to Familia to Diaz. That's a long line. They shut the door. Every single person did their job. And this feels like that. if that's a line that you see you know, before the season, you go, the Mets are going to have to throw Castro, Hunter, Gazelman, Loop, Familia. If those five guys come in the game, you go, how much are we down by? Literally. And the Mets, the Mets won that game. The bullpen has been arguably the MVP of the season this year. They've been so good. 
Absolutely has. And then game three, we got uh, what I like to call the Syracuse Mets versus the Atlanta Braves because Pete Alonso was not in the lineup. Nope. Ended up being scratched. Well, Ugh. not really scratched, I guess, but there might be an injury with Pete Alonso mm-hmm. and... There was stuff on Twitter about it that they thought he was going to possibly hit the IL, or that was a rumor. He didn't hit the IL, but that was earlier in the week. But after the game, Luis Rojas said he was not available because there was pinch hit of or situations that he could have came up in. Never yep. did. So he's not available. Soreness in his left wrist. We'll reassess on Friday. X-ray was negative, stemming from when he got hit in St. Louis two weeks ago. So this you know, makes you think, because Pete's been playing terribly recently. Yeah. The worst had to have been bothering him since he got hit. I can totally see in his head that he was like, I got to play in Tampa. It's my hometown. He wasn't going to say anything. And as soon as he got out of Tampa, he's like, guys, my wrist is killing me. Please, please. He was definitely doing the math. Like once he like went three days after he actually got hurt and it was like, oh crap, if I go on the IL now, I'm not going to be eligible to come off until that Sunday. They probably won't even take me off until that Monday. Uh, I can't do that. I got to play in Tampa. Yeah, no, I can totally see Pete doing that. So the lineup was weak going into it. And again, it was just, it's going to be an uphill battle. Peterson on the mound has been good, has been bad, has been terrible, has been solid. He is very, very shaky this year, and he had another shaky start. Shaky, yeah, but like the weird thing about Peterson is just like he's cruising, and then he isn't. And it happens basically every single start. We don't know when it's going to happen. At some point, every single start, he just falls apart. He's not a stopper. You can't expect him to be that at this point in his career. He's still learning how to pitch. There's going to be very few instances where he's going to be able to put this team on his back. Sure, he did that last week in Tampa Bay, but that's not something we can rely on. I thought a switch may have been flipping with David Peterson when I saw him really level in those four-seam fastballs last week. And I thought that was kind of happening again today for a few innings, but he went very much back to the sinker. He kind of threw away his slider, which was the money pitch last Friday night. Yeah. I don't understand why that happened, but I don't know. It was weird. He threw more change-ups in the slider for the first time in a couple weeks. Like That doesn't seem like the recipe for success for Peterson. Early in the game, too, I, I noted that I loved that he was coming inside, especially to right-handed batters. And I think for a guy like David Peterson, who can become very predictable at times, because especially yeah. to righties, he's just outside, outside, outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was making Ronald Acuna look uncomfortable. He was making Marcelo Zuna look uncomfortable. And that's because he was able to come inside with that four-seam or even the sinker a few times. That's a pitch he has to go to. And when he got in trouble, he it's because he completely abandoned it. He just yeah. stopped throwing inside right-handed batters, going outside, and Austin Riley takes it to right field, hits a home run. Uh, just the little, I don't even want to say like adjustments, but he made it too easy for the hitters. You knew where it was going. I think the thing that happens to Peterson is that he kind of has his plan of attack, and he's very comfortable when he's working inside of his plan, but it doesn't take very much to, like, shoot him off. And you can see him on the round, stomps around, he makes faces, the body language starts to go much quicker than you'd like it from a guy who's a part of this rotation and a pretty central piece to what the Mets are trying to do at least this month. For a guy who's still learning how to pitch, you, he needs to just stay on schedule, and it's, he loses it sometimes, it's, he struggles to regain it. Yeah. It's also tough when you're that big, too, to like just constantly be, you know, like keeping your mechanics the same for someone as big as him. And he's a little bit, I don't want to say he's herky jerky, but there's a lot of moving parts there. The dude is not a smooth pitcher by any means. No, no. When you're not a smooth pitcher and you're like 6'5", whatever you are, it's just hard to repeat those mechanics. It is. The one positive take from Peterson tonight is that he threw the hardest pitch of his career, 95.5 miles an hour. That's cool. That's something. Uh, No, it's actually a sinker. Weird. 
very weird. It could have just been mismarked on Savant. That happens. The pitches are generally similar, especially because Peterson's four-seamer almost acts like a two-seamer because it has, like, the opposite arm side run. Mm -hmm. Like, it'll kind of shoot out to right-handed batters, which even makes it harder to throw inside. He really needs to locate that even more in than a guy's hands, like, to actually either find that pitch and not leave it over the middle of the plate, which is why I understand why sometimes he doesn't want to stay yeah. inside to righties. But, like, once he gets his balls and he learns how to pitch and he can locate that there, it'll be a piece. But... Hardest pitch of his career. Hang your head on that. That was okay. And our boy Drew Flo came in and got some clutch outs following Peterson, which was nice. Love some Drew Smith. That kid is a pitcher. And yeah. it's unfortunate because he's probably going to be one of the guys who just, you know, hits the chopping block first strictly because he has options. Yeah. But when he's on, I mean, he's got a spot on this team. He's shown us every single time he's come out this year that he is legit. Oh, very legit. Got eight whiffs on 13 swings tonight. That's lights out stuff. Fastball, cutter. That's quickly becoming our guy. Yeah. Love Drew Smith. I want to see him used more, and he was great again tonight. Also got to talk about bench mob again because it was very much a bench mob j- game. Jonathan VR with a absolute nuke of a home run. Watched it, crushed it, 431 mm-hmm. feet, mm-hmm. 107.9 miles per hour off the bat. That dude is locked in. Maybe he's not going to get three or four hits every game, but if he drops a home run for us when we need it like he has been, I can't complain, and Jonathan oh, VR has no. been really really big for us this year jonathan vr has been a central performer to this met season the fact that the mets are in first place i just said jonathan vr has been like one of the he's like one of the main characters of the mets right now like if there was a movie about the mets vr has tons of screen time like yes, he is so one much. of the guys who've been highlighted another guy who has made an incredible impression these last few weeks peraza that was a very clutch double that changed the entire tone of the late innings of this game that made me feel like the mets actually had a shot his double in, I think it was the seventh off of AJ Minter, was the hardest hit ball by any Met all night. Even harder than VR's home run at 108.3 miles an hour off the bat. Smoked. That smoked. And the thing that was crazy about that at bat with Peraza, too, is AJ Minter made the error to Dom Smith, which was an ins- He tried to do an insane play for some reason. He made it yeah. way harder than it needed to be. He had the lane on the inside of the bag. He's like, I'm going to throw behind him. Weird. Not the point. He made the error, got back on the mound. AJ Minter's a guy who struggled with control in the past. He's a bit of a, a little bit of a head case where he just he loses control and he loses it. And we saw it happening to Peraza and to the who was the guy who hit before Peraza? I don't even remember who was up. Whatever it was, but Peraza 3-0 and the pitches weren't even close. And Peraza no. swung on a what 3-1 I think or 3-0. He was aggressive, and that's what got the double. It kind of he caught AJ Minter sleeping, thinking that he can just throw one over there, get it, get me over strike. Praza pounced on it. We've seen enough of AJ Minter at this point in our lives as Met fans that I am relieved to see him come into a game. Love it. The guy is not anything special by any means at this point in his career. He's just part of that Braves constituency that's just what the freak is going on right now. Yeah, the only guy that really looks good in that pen, like consistently, I guess there's two guys, Chris Martin. Always looks pretty solid. I like Chris Martin a lot. And Will Smith. Yeah. I've always been a Will Smith guy. Outside of those two guys, this Braves bullpen is a mess. It's very, very hittable. Very hittable. And that's going to be something that continues all season. I, I said that in our preseason preview. The Braves have exactly two good relievers. Those two guys you just named. And I don't know if there's any more waiting in the wings unless Tuki Toussaint remembers how to be dominant. Which, Which that could happen. Could I'm, happen. Still wait, I'm still waiting for it. He does it against the Mets every year, so I'm yeah. sure he'll figure it out at some point. But... This brief seems very beatable. That's all we know. Um, Castro came in in the seventh, right? Seventh? Uh, whatever inning was, he came in a little bit later, was sick. He got really, really lucky because Khalil Lee making another insane catch out in right field. If the kid's not going to hit, he's not no. ready to be a major league player. I think that's mm-hmm. very obvious. Uh, the The scouting report on him was that he swings and misses a ton, and we have seen that. It's true. He's, he's struck out in every single at-bat so far this you know season that he's played. But 
in the field, he has been fantastic. And I don't know if you noticed, but even on his throws in, he has a stupid good arm. He was making these throws like just l- kind of like lollipop him in and it was on a line. I was like, if he can hit, could be special. He's showing it off. I think it's a fun consolation prize to having Khalil Lee and Joan Shui Fargus in the outfield is that the guys are just incredible defenders. Like this is the best mess defensive outfield we've seen in a long ass time, which is kind of funny. It's ironic because neither of them are going to really do anything at the plate. Fargus did have the base hit and the stolen base yesterday, which was cool, but just let these guys keep making plays. Khalil Lee made two at the time game saving catches in this series. Yes. Amazing. And he's been huge for us. Was a big part of Castro's inning. Castro then also got one roped up the middle that just happened to find his glove, pop yeah. up out of it, get Ronald yeah. Acuna at second, and then we're out of the inning. We're good. Yeah. So Castro, as you said, you know, just continues to be a beast. He's great, dude. He's just transformed into like a G in front of our eyes. Like Jeremy Hefner sprinkled a little fairy dust on him, and now he's an elite reliever. It's so beautiful that we can just have those things happen for us now. And then we got to talk about, you know, your boy again. Yeah, Tomas Nito. Yep. Did That's it mob. again. He did it again. He comes up in a pinch hit scenario and gets a little blooper mm-hmm. that drops in for two runs. And the Mets take the lead. When you're hot, you're hot. I think that's all the, that Nito at bad showed us. Like, you're just going to be able to find the hole. Yeah, I jumped out out of my seat. I was like, let's go. There he is. He did it again. That was huge. Mm-hmm. We then came into the eighth with Aaron Loop starting the inning, which the Mets bullpen, there was nobody left. It was either mm-hmm. Loop or Jacob Barnes. So, mm-hmm. you know, people want to criticize Rojas for going Loop against three straight righties. Whatever you want to say it is, you can't give Rojas any crap for that move. No. Because if you put in Jacob Barnes there, Jacob Barnes is probably doing something similar, and you're going to be like, well, why isn't Lupin? So enough of the you know Monday morning quarterback here with Luis Rojas in a game where they had no business being in it, and they were. Loop struggled, gave up a run. He faced three batters, gave up three hits. Yeah. But then Barnes came in, and mm-hmm. Barnes stepped up big, as well as McCann stepped up big, too, for us. Yeah, big. That that throw at third base, that was a heads-up play. I think Dansby Swanson went signless. Which is crazy, by the way. Insanely bad decision. To double steal with first and second and not clue into the guy in first to take second while you're doing it, that's just simply bad baseball. He looked like kind of befuddled. And I just want to point out that this Braves coaching staff, it's a fucking brain trust. Yeah. That's like a melange of like old school baseball guys, just old men galore in that bullpen. In the, during Minter's blow up, the pitching coach came out and he what didn't seem like he was coaching, more like he was like scolding AJ yes. Minter. And then even when they panned back to the Braves dugout later in the inning, the guy was like, oh my God come on this guy yeah ron was like oh he did he's like a lot of colorful language in the mound (laughs) visit like there was a lot of f-bombs being dropped i kind of like it i love the braves coaching staff i think they're awesome like snicker ron washington i don't uh rick kranitz like these are all like you said old school baseball guys who are like no nonsense no bullshit but they have their players backs too which we've seen from some old ass guys in major league baseball recently they don't care about players on their team just a couple just a couple, but yeah. the Braves coaching staff, fantastic. They would have never told him to steal there. It was left-handed no. batter up. McCann has a hose, and Dansby Swanson scores on a hit from second, no matter yeah. what. It was crazy. The fact that they were trying to bunt, that's like a strategy that doesn't very closely align with trying to steal third. It was just vexing. It seemed to bail us out for a second. I thought for a second we were going to get off scot-free, especially when, I don't know if this was the next inning or the inning before all this happened, the Cameron Mabin dropped third strike. Got to first base. Ninth inning, yeah. That was the top of the ninth inning. After we houdini that of the eighth, Cameron Maven got on with a drop third strike, which was barely even dropped. He thought the catcher caught it. I did too. And William Contreras like nicked it off of his knee. Just got unlucky. He actually did a great job blocking it. He just, his knee was a little clunky. Dude, if there's a 35 and over division for like track and field, Cameron Maven should enter. Because yes. that guy can still fly. 
he got down the base path easily. Like he runs like a gazelle. He just has these yeah, big long legs with huge strides. He glides down the path, base path. He was even just after tonight stolen base of second and taking third in the wild pitch. He is already worth a dollar and then some. Yeah, which is what he was traded for. In case you guys didn't know, apparently Cameron Maybin Maybin traded for a dollar. Twitch. What are the Chicago Cubs doing? At least ask for something. I'm I'm confused by that. I think that they got the the ability to not pay the rest of his semi guaranteed salary. And they were cool with that. Yeah, Tom, Tom Tom Ricketts is poor, so yeah. I mean, any any couple hundred thousand dollars the guy can get makes a big difference in the bottom line. Cameron Maybin literally stole every base that it except home. Think about that. <laughs> I was hoping he would try and steal home because that bat by James McCann was so disappointing. He had a real chance. He had a good at bat too. He was fighting it off, and Ron was talking about it. Like there was a couple pitchers pitches there that you had to swing at. It was no and that he inside fastball. He really got a good piece on that. It really kept himself alive. Fuck, just hit a fly ball, man. And that ball was a hanger too. That was I a pitch know. to hit, and he, and he just, just lunged, just lunged a little bit too aggressive, a little too out in front, and just like to the infield. That was. Almost the worst thing that could have happened. Almost. It was Basically. pretty terrible. Yeah, as bad as it really could have been. And then Peraza just couldn't couldn't get it done the next at bat. Which it happens. I mean It happens. He had another little blooper the third, which whatever. Infield's in that's a hit, but the infield was not in, of course. And then I texted this to you like immediately when it happened. I said, Ronald Cunha, home run, lock. Yeah. And second first pitch of the at bat, Jacob Barnes loves throwing first pitch meatballs, just whoosh. Got See it. you later. Which you know, as you said, start of the episode, bittersweet, because it would have yes. been great to win that game because we really, we stole the first two games, but we really would have robbed the Braves blind if oh, we swept yeah. this series. They oh would have gotten God. left with their pants down and be like, what mm-hmm. just happened? Like, we did not deserve to win that game at all. No. We, played an in, we played an inferior game. I would argue we deserve to win any of these games. We, yeah. showed that we walked into Atlanta with a triple-A team and just found ways which is the hallmark of a good team. And I think we have to give a lot of credit to Luis Rojas, who we've all been very critical of. But Luis Rojas deserves a lot of credit. This is a guy who myself, James even, people, every single Mets fan I think has been very critical on him, had a really short leash, has been saying he's on the hot seat, even though that's crazy, you know, 60, 70 games into a managerial tenure. He did a fantastic job this weekend. And I think it's very funny that Rojas was praised for how great of a manager he was in the minors, and he finally gets like a minor league team to manage at the major league level, and he has probably the best series of his life, Mm -hmm. even though the Mets didn't sweep. The fact that they got one win, let alone two, from the Braves with this roster, I got to give a lot of credit to Luis Rojas. He did a fantastic job. I'd love to see this Luis Rojas a little bit more. He seemed very hands-on. He seemed very into the game. He, like, even pulling loop in the eighth inning for Barnes, he had Barnes ready to go. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen Luis Rojas do that all year. It seemed like something clicked in this series where he was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to manage. I'm going to finally step up and do it. Dude, definitely. Rojas might not be as good with the things we see on the surface, like drawing up a lineup card or making the pitching changes, which is a big deal for a manager. But it seems like he is becoming a leader of men, and probably not becoming because he's been an actual manager for a very long time in the Dominican League and the minor leagues. But these guys like going out and playing for him, it seems. And he, as little emotion as he seems to show, he's, he's riding the umpires, he's talking to other guys on the bench. He is doing a very good job of controlling this locker room and this clubhouse every single day. And that's been so important on this run the Mets are have as they're digging deep. I think it's probably safe to say this is the first time it looked like Luis Rojas was comfortable being the New York Mets manager, which is weird because anybody else I think would have been extremely uncomfortable, but he looked like he was in control, looked like he was in charge. That's Luis Rojas we've been waiting to see. Managers don't make or break teams and win games or anything like that, but Luis Rojas is like the steady nature that he's had really paid off in a series where the Mets could have been completely lost. 
No, definitely, 100,000%. And I think that's a good time now to transition to our series preview with the Marlins coming up this weekend after an off day. Yes. Whenever you guys are listening to this, on Thursday maybe. Go Give me give me the uh, probable starters for all the games. Oh, you want to know the probable starters. The fun thing about this series is we don't have any probable starters. <laughs> Except Friday. We, because the Mets rotation and the Marlins rotation are both all together fucked. Yes. <laughs> we got nothing. Thank God I, we're going to be missing Trevor Rogers, my GOAT this weekend series luckily but the marlins have pablo lopez scheduled for friday the mets have stroman scheduled for friday at least they said so on the broadcast tonight espn has him for saturday and otherwise neither team has a scheduled starter announced yet which is just a little bit scary but that's kind of how the mets are going to roll we've got 14 guys on the il that are major league baseball players Mm -hmm. it's going to be a little bit of a shit show this weekend but luckily we run into the marlins Yep. who are not much of a team, as we've said no. all year long, and that's no disrespect to them. They're better than no. what... They, they're not like a bottom feeder anymore. They're not yeah. this team that you run roll over nice mm-hmm. and easy. They're going to compete. Yeah, they'd work the Tigers. But yeah, <laughs> but if they... If there was ever a team to face when you're depleted and hurt in the National League East, it's got to be the Marlins. Definitely. And Pablo Lopez has kind of been a Jekyll and Hyde against the Mets in his career. He's had some awful starts. He's also had some incredible starts. And he's a pretty reliable starting pitcher at this point. So that's going to be a fun game on Friday night to see both the two unheralded best starting pitchers in each staff. Those two guys kind of mirror each other, I feel like, in a respect standpoint. Like the way they're viewed by like national media, like fantasy baseball owners. They both have it, but they also kind of don't. So it'll be fun to see a nice pitcher's duel. And then it's just going to be chaos Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of bullpen innings from both teams. Mm -hmm. And it is going to be, just like this series was a little tight, it's going to be a lot of like ups and downs, a roller coaster. If you're watching the win probability charts, I'm expecting a lot of of dips and flows. You know, Uh It's going to be all over the place. Yeah, quickly, my Marlin to watch this series is going to be Mr. Cody Poteet or Cody Poteet. Not sure how to announce his name yet. Who the hell is this guy? Who? I thought you were going Jazz for sure. You pulled Cody Potite. No, Jazz. Jazz. Jazz is quickly becoming one of the most likable, famous players in Major League Baseball, especially after that home run he hit off Jose Alvarado. The rat fuck. That rat fuck. Love that. Love that. Turned around a hundred mile an hour fastball right in his fucking wrist. Yeah, Bang. Fuck you, Jose Alvarado. Yeah. Go go fish again against the Phillies. But Cody Poteet has made two spot starts for the Marlins in the last two weeks as they have struggled to find starting pitchers. I'm sure he's going to pitch the series either Saturday or Sunday, but nothing's official yet, which makes me think maybe he got sent down. But I think he's going to pitch. Very good strikeout numbers in the minor leagues. Pretty good strikeout numbers his first two games. Doesn't really have overpowering stuff, but the guy seems to be good in advance for his age and level. He's going to be a guy to watch, and he's going to be probably pretty annoying to watch the Mets not get hits off of this weekend. Yeah, hopefully the Mets continue to play this scrappy baseball. I don't think anything's really going to change. We're going to see very few hits a game unless Lindor or Dom or these guys really start to heat up. You just can't expect Joneshwi Fargus, Khalil Lee, Jake Hager, the names that were thrown out here, to carry this offense by any means. No, these are a joke. It's going to be a tough series, but again, this Mets team, you, you took two of three from the Braves. The Braves mm-hmm. are on paper right now, just a better team, you know, based on the players that are on there with this bullpen, we have a shot. As soon as we get runs on the board, if we can, we can keep it close, that's all we need to do with this bullpen. hundred percent, hundred percent. And then want to do a little farm report here because it's interesting to note that Thomas Zapuki, who's mm-hmm. a guy that you love a little bit, you're you're fa- I like him. I like him. I'm like I love him. You're intrigued by Thomas Zapuki. He's not one of your guys. But Let him take me out for dinner first before I love the guy. Yeah, of course. But he skipped his AAA start. Um, so maybe he's going to be coming up this weekend. There was rumors that he was going to come up for this series, and then I don't yeah. think he did ever. So. No. Not really sure what's going on. He also hasn't pitched in like I think eight days now, and Syracuse had a bit of a COVID outbreak. So he's either going to be pitching with the Mets on Saturday or Sunday, or he's off the radar. We're going to need a pitcher very, very badly. And I think Yamamoto threw two today. 
So that's like almost like a bullpen in between if he has to make an appearance, which he might as well against his former team in Miami. Some bad news in the minors. Hate to do it, guys, but PCA, Pete Crow Armstrong, our first-round pick from the 2020 draft, out for the season. Got surgery on his labrum, I believe. Tore his labrum. Um, He's going to end up being fine, but it's just annoying because that's another year of development and growth that we have to delay. Definitely. This guy seemed like he was going to be on the fast track, had a very pro, uh, advanced hit tool for his age and his like the fact that he's like literally just came out of high school. This is the same injury that took Miguel Andujar about two years to recover from before he got power back, which sucks because PCA's power was the number one aspect of his development that could have taken him from like borderline top 100 guy to like pushing like mega prospect level. So this sucks. But in good news, the rest of the Mets prospects that we should be worrying about are all doing really well. Francisco Alvarez continues to rake at an insane rate, 15 for 33 this season, which I put LOL because that's laugh out loud funny how good he is at the plate. You have been hyping him up all year, possibly a top 10 prospect maybe by the midseason. That's my bold predictions that either whether it be Baseball America, Keith Law, Fangrass, MLB Pipeline, you're going to see people putting... Francisco Alvarez in the top 10, the midseason report. Once we get a few more graduates. Yeah, he's been mashing. Ronnie Mauricio, this is really big. The power continues to be there for Ronnie. Four home runs, five doubles in 11 games, nine extra base hits. And this is a guy who had a tru- had trouble hitting home runs. We saw him fill into his body a little bit more this spring, and it looks like the power's coming, which is what everyone's been waiting for. Dude, absolutely. His last professional season in 2019, it took him 470 at-bats to hit four home runs, and he has that in nine games now, less than 50 at-bats. Love to see that. Absolutely love to see that. And another big thing about Mauricio's development is he's gotten better than expected reviews in the field at shortstop. Which is great because there was thoughts that maybe he'd become a third baseman and or corner outfielder because he's athletic enough where he's not like a first base guy, but he just wasn't like agile, I guess you should say, at shortstop where it's like he didn't have the best range and all that kind of stuff. But he's looking good. Happy to see it. That's another guy Mm -hmm. who's probably going to be flying up the list, especially with this power. Definitely. Brett Beatty, another top prospect. A guy, first round pick in 2019? Mm-hmm. The oldest high schooler in the history of the country. Yeah, he's like 35, I think, but he is mashing at you know high A ball, uh-huh. hitting 425. Uh-huh. No home runs, but that's no. okay. This is a guy who's hitting doubles all over the place. He has mm-hmm. a good approach at the plate. Looks mm-hmm. like he could be a little bit of a player here. Love to see that. All three of these guys might start moving through the system very quickly. I think that we could have a Brett Beatty siding in Queens this year, as crazy as that sounds. With all the injuries, you never know. You at, really yeah, never at this know. Point, yeah. And because he's already in his 40s, so like, we have to get him up anyway. <laughs> we got to get some years out of him before he's too late. But <laughs> other news around the minors, Mark Vientos, not looking great. Not striking bad. out a lot, but really he's always bad. he's always been a high strikeout guy in the minors. But this is way more. Yes. like He's been, like, I think, like 25%. He's at 40 yep. now bad and then sam mcwilliams who's an arm that we were hoping to see at some point this year kind of pumped the brakes here kind of a little hesitant eight walks nine k's through six innings so you see that the ceiling there you go nine Mm -hmm. k's and six innings is really good Mm -hmm. but then you also see the floor and you go eight walks that's concerning definitely and i think with like the electric arm that he has we probably would have seen him in queens already if the mets were impressed by him in spring training and then like just earlier on the minor league season so the fact that he is down means he does have some stuff to work on but again now we have jeremy hefner one of the best pitching coaches in baseball get the little fairy dust sprinkle it sprinkle some of that on there and we'll see mcwilliams probably iron this out soon enough just quickly before we go i have two mets prospects i want everyone to pay attention to very quickly did a little deep dive in the system over now that we've had some games being played one mets prospect i love is junior santos right-handed pitcher he's playing in single a ball right now at 19 years old he was actually playing rookie ball back in 2018 at just 17 years old you never see that yeah very young it's also interesting because the guy is six foot eight. Oh my god 
and his frame still hasn't filled out yet as a 19 year old. He already has a feel for a curve, curveball, and a changeup. So when that frame fills out at that, like, like just that extension, he will be reaching the upper, at least the mid nineties one day. It'll look like upper nineties because of how close he's going to be getting to the plate. That massive stride already has nine strikeouts and seven innings pitched this year. The guy's going to, is holding his own, playing well above his level. And he's a guy who could start. You're really going to hear his name. So pay attention to Junior Santos down there in a ball. Another guy I want to touch on very quickly. This guy, this is out of the blue. I learned about this guy a few days ago and I am impressed and someone named alexander ramirez and this is not to be confused with another guy in the angel system of the exact same age also named alexander ramirez <laughs> who, which is just funny as hell because he always like the exact same physical tools where he's just like a slender big 18 year old with like broad shoulders and shows a good ability for power at this point in his aim uh, in his development one scout said he has a double plus arm which you never hear that term no that's big time the guy is just runs like gazelle. A six and a half second, sixty yard dash, which that's so fast. That sounds elite. I don't that's know fast. any other guy's sixty yard dash numbers in the minor leagues, but I like that one, especially as an eighteen year old. And he's already shown some power at the uh, the alternate site or the extended spring training, whatever they call it. He still hasn't gone into rookie ball yet, but you will see him there later this summer. And he's the third highest international signing bonus the Mets have ever given out, besides Mauricio and Alvarez. So the way those two guys have hit, it seems like Alexander Ramirez is a Mets prospect to watch moving forward definitely lots of good stuff going on in the minors lots of good stuff going on in the majors despite being battered and bruised the replace mets i think they've been called bench mob there's all different sort of nicknames and all great t-shirts that are eventually going to come out at some point over here we'll figure it out sooner or later bench mob one soon though that one is absolute fire you're gonna want to get that it's incredible but episode number 16, I can't believe it, but it's a positive one. The Mets went yeah. in there with a ragtag group of guys, and we beat the Braves. Almost swept them. Can't complain at all. I'm happy. Yeah, me too, man. I, the Mets season seemed like could have come apart the seams a little bit last time we spoke, and now I'm feeling confident ahead of the series with the last place Marlins. And I think the thing to even take the biggest note of, the biggest takeaway from this series, is that the Mets, at their absolute worst, hung with the Braves and mm-hmm. beat them. So when this team gets back to health and is clicking, they are going to be scary. This Braves team is not the same Braves team of old. We have to beat the Braves, and we did with a shit lineup. I can't wait to see what this team does when we're healthy and clicking. Definitely. We should have added to the farm report that Noah Syndergaard and Seth Lugo both had their first rehab starts. And J.D. Um, Davis got a hit today, too. Definitely. I guess they're both technically starts because Lugo pitched the first inning, which is funny when relievers are in rehab since they pitch in the first inning just to guarantee the work. Get out of there. Yeah, but it's cool, man. Like, we're going to get those guys back probably by June 1st around. That's that's close. Summertime, yeah, baby. Really close. This best team is we're, 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 we're limping to the finish line here of getting these guys back, but they have not stopped limping yet. They're still going. <laughs> Gotta, I love it. This team is really fighting and really scrapping around and ragtag group of guys. Mets have done it before with, you know, worse players, so... I'm excited to see what we do here. That's going to be episode number 16 of the Mets Up Podcast, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Co-hosts, James Shiano, Jeter Had No Range, me, Giraffe Neck, Mark, Mark Luino. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Mets Up. Follow us on YouTube as well if you want to watch a video of this Mets Up Podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you can find us. We are there. Thank you so much for listening to episode number 16, guys, and we'll see you after the Marlins series. Hopefully some more wins. Bye. Peace out.